Welcome to Why in the World. My name is Ben Shepherd, and this is the final part of my four-part conversation with all-round legend and ultra-endurance freak, Luke Taberski. You are about to hear a very honest, no-holds-barred account of his ultimate triathlon experience and the months following it as well. Once again, this episode is sponsored by Atree. They are a sustainable clothing brand based in North Wales. You can check them out at atree.com, E-I-G-H-T-R-Y.com. Come and with every purchase, a tree is planted. A tree making a difference, one tree at a time. I'm actually rocking one of their teas whilst we are recording this. Here we go. I hope you enjoy the rest of this conversation as much as I did. This is the final episode in our mini-series with Luke Taberski. He is on Why in the World. How did the swim go to start with? Uh, I, I finished. <laughs> I know. Look, I built the swim up in my head. I think that's a quote, direct quote from the film. Um, I built the swim up in my head so much because I'm not a swimmer. I was, in my own way, freaking out about the swim because this was uncharted territory. Like, I was prepared to swim 20 kilometers alongside ever swam was like 12 and I'd done open water swims and I swam in the ocean, but this was like, I'd done a lot of cycling and I'd done a lot of running and this was like big for me because it was so many things out of my control. Like you can run, you can slow down, you can walk, you can cycle, you can just sort of chill a little bit, let the legs spin. Swimming, you, you can't, can't do that. You can't stop and walk. You've got to go, you've got to go, you've got to go. So I got in there and it was, I just had this mantra. I've talked about this a lot uh, um, on and off record. It was like, don't waste a stroke. Focus on your technique. Every, like, like I've said somewhere, if I had to do 20,000 strokes, make sure you don't have to do 20,001. So you're efficient as, as you can be. We got to about two and a half, three hours in. It's probably close to halfway. And they're like, Faster, more speed, more speed. And I was like, okay, yeah, all right. Must be a current. And I was like, yeah. So I probably went about 75, 80%. Starting to get a bit out of breath. And they go, faster, faster. I was like, okay. So I'm probably 95%. I probably had that last little, that last little bit of holding back. And they're like, faster, faster. And I was like, fire. Okay, so I started to sprint. Okay, started to sprint, started to sprint. And then five minutes later, faster, faster. And I was like, okay, well, I can't go faster. This is it. Break through this current and then it'll calm off a little bit. Okay, so just go for it, go for it, go for it. Faster, 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 faster. And it didn't stop. And I sprinted for about two hours. Like, Okay, like my level of exertion felt like sprinting. Like obviously my pace probably wasn't there, but I was giving 100% for about two hours, as 100% as I could. We stopped for food and it was just like they threw some food at me on the end of a string, squirted it down and kept going. Literally 100% exertion for swimming for me for like two hours. And then we broke through the current and then we're getting closer and that was it. And I finished in five hours. Uh, I'm looking at the, the route. Uh, there's a little map on the wall. Five hours and 11 minutes it took me on the 24th of October. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it says. 24th of October, 5 hours and 11 minutes. Yeah, that's it. It's a mad map for that, actually. That's pretty cool. That's what they sent me. That's what you get. So, yeah. And that's I, quick. And I finished... Well, some of it's 
the tides, so the tides are going from west to east and I'm swimming down, so it's dragged me in. Five hours and 11 minutes, 24 kilometers. Um, I traveled, I didn't swim then, I traveled. <laughs> um, but it was breaking through the currents because if I didn't, I was gonna miss that landing point. And I was literally landed in the, f- the last bay. If I missed that bay, I basically would have been deemed a non-swim. And I thought if I swam to Morocco and it was deemed as a non-swim, I would have been pissed. So I'm glad I made that last bay and got in the back on the boat and 45 minutes later, back in Spain, and we said, right, we've got an hour turnaround. One of my crew, Warren, stayed in Spain. He didn't come with me on the swim. Um, my wife, now wife, Vanda, she wasn't there. She arrived on day two, I think. I picked her up from the airport. And uh, yeah, so day one finished with a swim and a 100K, 110K bike. And uh, felt good, felt nice, all good. Found a hotel, that was good, we got fed. Got up the next day. Shoulders were in tatters. Bets. Hurt my shoulder during the swim. I felt something tear, pop, whatever you want to say. Um, I knew that wasn't right, so that, that was hurting on the bike. And we had 370 Ks, I think, on this day on the bike, and it was a long day because I was tired from the day before. And right, okay, head down, go. And push, 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 sunny day, crew went off to pick up Vanda. I got two punches while they were away. And um, What were you riding? What sort of bike? Just that focus right there, just a road bike. Um, no aero bars. It's just out and out. Just plowing. Mid, mid-range. Um, for all the, all the um, bike geeks out there, if you really care, I've got um, Shimano Altegra. I've got one of the original DI2 electric gears, which is the batteries like the size of two matchboxes, <laughs> whereas now they're like the size of like a 5P. Um, this 2013 model, and I had no aero wheels. I just had stock wheels, nothing flashy. It was just head and heart and, and a bit of legs. That got me through on the bike. <laughs> a little bit of legs. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit of legs. So, yeah, so let, let's go through the bike quickly because uh, then it sets up the ending because the big day, 370Ks, that was massive. Finished at like 1 o'clock in the morning. I was spent. You see in the documentary, I was pretty shattered. It was a long, long day, um, but I felt okay. And then day three, back on the bike, and it was just like my butt was sore, my hamstring left hamstring i think was starting to to tighten up and uh i imagine your whole body's just oh it was just it was just brutalized hamstring started to tighten up and i got really really tired and then the crew left me for too long um and i threw the only time i threw my toys out of the pram and i was pissed real like i i'm a chilled guy i don't get angry or mad or raise my voice but I was pissed at them because they filled me up and didn't give me a jacket. So when you do this big, I'm a grown ass man, I get that. But when you do these challenges, my role is to cycle or, or to be the athlete. And you've got to treat me like a two year old kid. Put your jacket on. Mum, I don't want to. No, put your jacket on. That's how you've got to be treated. Eat this, drink this, 100%. wear this. So I'm cycling and they'd left me and I'm on this like plane. It's like on either side, it's like this marshes or water area I can't remember but it was cold it was windy it was on dusk and I was yeah I wasn't happy I was cursing my crew out as I'm cycling it was dark I had lights it was all good but I just had a reflective vest on and a a jersey a short sleeve jersey and I was cold and I pulled up and the reason why I was so pissed and you see this in the film I turned up and this shows how cold it was 
after cycling and didn't see him for like two hours, they all had down puffer jackets on. And I'm just like, are you guys warm? I said, yeah, it's a bit cold, isn't it? I said, yeah. And I looked at one of the crew chief in the eyes and I said sternly, don't ever leave me for that long again. That was too long. I was cold. I'm not having that. And he was just like, oh, okay. And then Vanna came up was like, to give me some food and she went to sort of like, because everyone sort of stood back. And I just said, thanks. As if to say, give me my food and I walk away. And then Jay, the cameraman, come up and goes, can I just get a little bit of footage? I'm like, sure. So, so how do you feel? I just looked at the camera. I'm cold. <laughs> and then he filmed for a little bit longer of me eating and me looking off in the space. Like in my head, you can just sort of see. Just the anger. Just the, the, oh, and they're wearing down jackets and it's cold. And, and then he just backed away. <laughs> so then it was after. So this is where the extent of stress, fatigue, overtraining and life really came out the last 80 kilometers. So I cycled for about 30 kilometers after that checkpoint. And I saw the crew again in about 45 minutes to an hour, which was fine. And then I had about 80, about 85 kilometers to go and I started cycling off and it was dark and I saw these lights in the distance. And I was like, oh yeah, it must be like Benny Dorm or something like that. So for people who have been down there, they can sort of see where I am. And cycling along, like, I'm really tired, really, really tired. And I thought, I've got to stop because I could barely keep my eyes open. And pulled over, rested my bike on the guardrail. And because we're having making this film and the, the crew wasn't around, I thought, okay, this could be like interesting. So I picked up my phone and made sure on my phone the location services were always on. So if I ever stopped, took a photo, if I took some footage, we, we would know where it was. I just thought, that's cool. So I grabbed my phone and stared into it, hit play or record, and just was like, I'm really tired. Oh, there's some lights up here. We're just near Alicante and I'm really, really tired. I got like 80Ks to go today. I'm really, really tired. And then for like three minutes, I just kept saying, I'm really, really tired. I've got about 80Ks to go. Got back on the bike. And I remember these lights, as I said, and I'm just cycling. I remember my eyes getting heavier and heavier and heavier. I could barely keep them open and my head started to drop. And the next thing I remember was waking up in a hotel room, fully clothed in my cycling kit the next morning with no recollection of cycling at all. And what happened was, (laughs) I had to be told, was either I took the wrong route or the crew took the wrong route still up to debate between myself and the crew in a jovial way but I fell asleep cycling I was out I have no recollection of it and my crew lost me so I actually cycled 75 kilometers so I had 80 kilometers to go but I I cycled all the way up to five kilometers from the finishing point in Denya that town will always be etched in my brain and the crew found me that my tracker stopped working they called my phone but I started didn't hear it I was out and they found me cycling at about five kilometers an hour barely upright weaving erratically on the road like you know walking pace head down chin on the chest slumped over the handlebars and they got out of the car and Luke Luke yelled at me I was unresponsive and I just sort of ghosted 
past them. And then they stopped the van, jumped out and ran like everyone ran after me and grabbed me. And it was like I was hypnotized because as soon as they touched me, my body went limp. And they sort of dragged me off the bike, put me in the back of the van. And you see this in the film. As soon as they put me in the back of the van, it was like my body went completely limp and I fell completely asleep and I was out. Helmet still on. I'm doing the posture now, but head up against the side of the the back of the van and just slumped down and it was just like I had no life in me. And I was 75 kilometers in that state. And they drive me to the... Um, the hotel and I don't know this part but we stayed on the first floor there was no elevator so they obviously dragged me up the stairs and put me in the bed and I woke up the next day with a pounding headache thinking what the hell happened like a hangover a cycling hangover yeah we were like what do we do now like this is this is not right like this is not good I got checked by Vanda she was like the vitals are fine what do we do? And I'm like, yeah, just give me an hour and I'll be on the bike. Because I'm just concerned about I'm losing sleep the next night if I don't get cycling now. I've got 330Ks to do. And they're like, yeah, I'm not too really sure about this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, give me an hour. And anyway, so 20 minutes I get out of bed and I get to the couch. And I'm like, I got up as if I was like really drunk. I was stumbling. I had no balance. Get into the lounge room, sit on the lounge and I was like really cold so Vanda put like a, a blanket around me he went to give me my go-to breakfast which is like two avocados mashed up with seeds and nuts and powders and a couple of 33 shake shakes with a tin of coconut milk that was my go-to it's just like a green pile of poo really it was looked like and that was because it's like a couple of thousand calories and that's how I would have my breakfast and I fell asleep eating that and they were just like this is not safe and I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go. Anyway, so I convinced them that I was, I was going to get on the bike and cycle that day. And none of them liked that. They were all against it. And I pulled out the, I don't care, I'm the athlete. This is my project. I'm doing it. Listen to me. And none of them liked it. And they pulled me off the bike after like 7Ks because I was weaving erratically on the road. Cars honking at me. They stopped me and said, no, we don't care. You're having a rest day. And I was like, there's no rest days in the ultimate triathlon as I got off the bike and went to sit on the side of the road and fell backwards into the bushes, mm-hmm. which was captured on, on film, which was cool. But yes, I had a rest day, ate and slept that day. And then it changed. Um, the whole trip changed in so many different ways from a crew standpoint because I realised that I was being a dick and I put the crew in a in a situation that I probably shouldn't have made them do something they didn't want to do so I thought I'm going to start doing this like for the crew as well as myself and the crew were just really happy that I had the day off because I was just in a bad way but then on a personal level the ultimate triathlon had totally changed the swim changed I had a rest day so to counteract that instead of saying now it's 2,000 kilometers in 13 days I did what I thought made sense at the time and said no the ultimate triathlon is 2,000 kilometers in 12 days well the cycle leg has taken me an extra day I will just take a day off the run leg so instead of doing the equivalent of 14 marathons in seven days I'll do the equivalent of 14 marathons in six days, which is basically 100 Ks a day. I'll deal with that later. I'm just going to change 
how many kilometers I do each running day. And then the next day on the bike, my whole thing, I had 330 kilometers and it was like, this is for the crew. The crews worked really hard. I feel really bad. And this is for the crew. That was my motivation for that day and for the final day until I finished the bike leg. I mean, a much weaker person and someone without the mental fortitude that you have built up over the years of doing different things might have just said, no, this is it. We're done. I don't want to do this anymore. Look, I tried. I'm just going to call it. So even to consider carrying on, I think, is pretty incredible. The crew wanted me to stop. Vanda didn't want me to go on. Um, It was going against all her medical ethics and people have questioned that we totally get it we've had numerous conversations about that but it was like this is more if you read my book Chasing Extreme everything we're talking about and we're just about to finish off with a run leg and talk about all of this the fatigue the passing out the never give up I was always going to finish I was always going to get to Monaco makes so much sense with what happened in 2015. We touched on it a little bit in, in previous um, chat, but it all makes sense because there was so much more underlying to the ultimate triathlon. Like this is like, <clears throat> this was like my overdose. I talk about being addicted to endurance sports, which was my addiction for retiring from football, loss of identity, but also it was my feel good drug of choice with my mental health, with my depression. So I wouldn't go and drink alcohol or do drugs or gamble, things like that. I would go and run for 60Ks in the middle of the night. And then the ultimate triathlon was my big overdose. And then to go back to what I said earlier, was that um, the biggest change in my life, like the biggest thing that made a lasting impact was the 18 months after the ultimate triathlon. The effects that were having on me on a physiological level at the time, we didn't really know why until later on. So then when I finished the bike leg, it was a case of, okay, now it's 100Ks a day. 100Ks a day for six days and we get to Monaco. Simple as that. It was easier to crew for me when I was running because I'm running at like eight, nine kilometers an hour rather than 30 odd. I'd strained my hamstring on the bike on the like, third day just because it's tired and long days. That changed my running gait a little bit and I'm extre- I was extremely shattered. Yeah, I still hadn't recovered even though I had one rest day three days earlier and I had ran about a double marathon 85k's and I had about I think it was about 11 12k's ago that day and I remember coming out of Narbonne I think the town was and then we were going to stop in a little village further up drive back to Narbonne it was only like 10-15k's and then start where we finished come on the outskirts proper like dark French country roads and Vanda was running with me at the time and I just remember thinking I feel like my lights are about to go out and my eyes got heavy and my head dropped and it was like Mr. Bobblehead but the thing that really intrigued Vanda and the thing that really made her realise and she's spoken about this quite a lot is how my mental fortitude how strong it is and how mentally strong I am and how much more mentally strong I am in my mind than my body I'm shuffling I've got Mr. Bobblehead going I'm hating the world I'm still talking to myself in a positive tone come on Luke just keep taking one more step you can do it you're doing great 
Just keep putting one more foot in front of the other. Well done, Luke. You're amazing. Good stuff. And all of a sudden, the chatter stopped. And I went from shuffling to walking. Five or six paces, I went from walking to sort of stumbling. And then Vander saw my knees started to buckle. And then I literally, knees went down. I went down on the side of this French country road on this, and then it was like a little ravine. And she jumped down there, was basically holding me up from rolling down there and pushed me sort of onto the side of the road. And I just was out. I was done. 30 seconds later, I'm talking to myself, encouraging myself, well done, you can do this. My mind was there. My mind knew what I was doing. My mind knew that I had to encourage myself and keep putting one in front of the other. And then my body just went, don't care what, my, what your mind says, well, I'm done. And the funny thing to that story was, so Vanna speaks no French, and there's this car driving past, stopped. She's standing in this like six foot or five foot deep sort of ravine on the side of this road, holding this body up that's just like motionless. And these French people are like, are you okay? And in English, she's telling me, she's like, I just said to them, yeah, we're fine. Just keep going. We're fine. (laughs) She reached into my bag, grabbed my phone and called the crew who were just like 10 Ks down the road and said, we'll come in like 10, 15 minutes. And And she said, Luke's passed out again. Come get us. Picked us up. I was just lying there. I sort of came back to life a little bit, bundled me into the van. I'd covered 88, 86 kilometers, stayed that night in the van. Everyone's like, in the next morning, is this over? Is it done? This is the second time he's passed out. Woke up the next morning and I was just like, okay, can you drop me to where I finished? And they were like, what are you talking about? And I'm just like, no, we're going there. And... What makes this so hilarious, Warren, who was in the car, is like, yeah, it was somewhere around here. We walked across the side of the road to the edge of this grassy strip and you could see where a body had been laid. (laughs) So I laid down and did a little thumbs up and we started again there and then my strained hamstring, my running gait change meant I was tearing the junction in my quadricep where three of the muscles come together, the quadricep on the front of your thigh, where you've got four muscles, started to tear this junction where three of them are all together. And then I passed out again after like 50 Ks on that day and I'm screaming in agony and pain, this muscle's tearing, muscle's tearing, taped it up. Uh, on the next day I said, yeah, we're, let's start again, let's go again. And I kept going. I could barely walk without hobbling. This muscle was just being torn and being torn. And then it's just like, like if it ruptures, you'll need surgery. Simple as that. If it just goes, like there's just a sort of mini explosion. Because you're just tearing it, tearing it. Because you're running, it's this big sort of impact. I was still, must have been like 400 kilometers from Monaco. And we had like three three days to go. And she was running with me for a bit. She's just like, I don't know what you're going to do. And I said, if you, she said, if you want to finish, you have to do something different because you can't finish at this pace. And she just sort of said, is there another way that you can get to Monaco? Maybe you cycle. And then ran off. Because <laughs> she thought, he's either going to, not literally, but he's either going to hit me or be mad at me or he needs time to think about this. Process it. Process yeah. it. So she ran off left me for five minutes and I'd have thought how do I get to Monaco I could swim you're an idiot it's 400 kilometers so the only other way I could think of is get on the bike and cycle one leg at 400 k's in three days 
So Vanda came back to me a little bit. I sort of waved her and she ran back and ran with me. And while I was walking at this point because I couldn't run, excruciating pain. And I said, go and tell the crew to get my bike ready. Okay. So at this stage, they had pulled my bike apart and put it into the box. I had a spare bike that was just in the back of the car. So they got the bike out, a spare bike. I got on the spare bike for the rest of that day. Cycled for like 100K, oh no, 70Ks that day. And that is the most physical pain I've ever been in in my life. More than the MDS, Marathon de Sabs, more than anything else. Because my butt had saddle sores on it. It was just raw. My hamstring was strained and my quad was tearing. So it, my left leg was dead weight. I was doing everything with my right leg. But I had to be clipped in to the pedals. And every time my leg on my left side came up, so my leg was bent, it was like the muscle was being torn open. And then every time it straightened, it was like I was getting stabbed in it. Every revolution, every revolution. And I did this for 70 odd kilometers, plus I was really sore butt, plus I was pissed off because now I'm cycling to Monaco. Like, the ultimate triathlon is a massive failure. Like, it's just rubbish. I just, like, I was always going to finish it, but I just thought, this is crap. I want everyone to go away and I just want to do it by myself because I'm just not happy with this. And then we finished that day. They got me crutches because I couldn't walk because I torn the muscle more because it's more of a stretch when you're cycling. And yeah, we had three days to go and 400 kilometers, I think it was, or 350 kilometers to cover in the last three days. And um, I had a couple of friends who were coming over from the UK to hang out with me for the final couple of days. One of them rode the spare bike, which was way too big for him. (laughs) Um, But he rode that. And yeah, we cycled for the last three days. And I cycled with one leg the entire time. 150Ks one day, 100Ks both of the days. Basically, I got to the finishing line and I... No, the final day, sorry. I said, I'm not cycling to Monaco, I'm running. And they're like, what do you mean? I don't care if it's 10 kilometers, I don't care if it's one kilometer, I don't care if it's 100 meters. Find a spot. I'm running into Monaco. You need that moment. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with the documentary. It had everything to do with I needed to just finish on my feet. So they found this little side of the road in France just before Monaco starts at this roundabout. And I put my running shoes on and, and whatever and put my propeller cap on that I wear when I run and um, like in the film it's just ridiculous it was a massive hobble it was so and it was the pain was ridiculous and the crew ran down there and they had a finishing banner on this you know not extravagant finish like down at the port in Monaco oh, wow it sounds amazing it was on this middle of this roundabout where Monaco starts and I hobbled onto this roundabout and there's this big rock that shaped like a spearhead that said Prince de Port de Monaco. I kissed that. And I've said this numerous times because it just floods back to me. It says, I, I lingered when I kissed this rock because I knew when I took my lips off this rock and I stood, stood up and I turned around, so I was bent over, I thought my life's never going to be the same. And it's not because I thought I thought that I have made it and this is going to be phenomenal and I'm going to be on talk shows and I'm going to have talks around the world and this and that, whatever. I thought I've accomplished 
a massive goal that 95% of the people I told thought I wouldn't do. Yes, it's changed. Yes, I didn't do it how I'd set out to. But what I endured and what I had overcome and the grit and determination and the mental resilience that I showed, this was going to change the rest of my life and the way that I viewed what I was capable of and the way that I viewed what humans were capable of, period. Because I'm not superhuman. I'm just me, okay? I have some good genes, but physically, like, I'm never going to win any races. But mentally, that is my superpower. And I realized as soon as I turned around, like, things are going to change. Because my perception of the world and what I'm capable of mentally, physically, and what others are, is just, it's going on a different level now. Because if I can do this, what else can I do? Similar to the MDS. But also, like, as a, as a human being, we are using um, single-digit percentages of what we are capable physically and mentally of in all walks of life, if I can do that. So it was just like, wow, this is going to be huge. And I turned around and we had photos and we had cameras for about photos and did some filming for about 30 seconds and then there was like six police because you've got this big camera and you've got people taking photos and you're in Monaco. And it's like, yeah, they don't really like that. Mm. So the police are like, leave, leave, leave. And one of the guys was telling them that it just swam from Morocco and did all this. And they were like, okay, you've got like two minutes and then get off. That was it. We drove back to Nice and I stayed there for a few nights before I came back to the UK and then life just happened. The, the moments that you blacked out and I think it was really nice kind of how you summed it up there at the end when you said mentally humans don't even tap into what they're capable of but you've obviously tapped into something that not many people ever do because in those moments your body just gave up your body was just like mate we can't go on anymore we can't do this but your mind was still strong and although your mind was still strong in that moment I know that you have suffered from depression and mental health issues in the past as well the 18 months post that, five years has been focused on the ultimate triathlon. You get back to the UK, everything must have just come crashing down. Oh, you see these, like, and this is, I'm totally dramatising this, I know, but you see these uh, apocalyptic films. The inner turmoil that I was going through, like, that's what it felt like. You, you see these films and it's just like this is things happen and someone crawls out like Will Smith crawls out of like a cave somewhere and goes holy crap like this is just completely destroyed it's been vaporised internally the inner turmoil that I was going through it looked like the residue of that destruction like it was that intense because the ultimate triathlon was a failure the last five years of my life were pointless because I didn't do the ultimate triathlon. I didn't do it how I said I'm going to do it. I'm a failure. Um, my mental health was just like, well, what's the point in living? Like, I was standing on top of bridges thinking, do I really want to be here? I was binge eating because I just felt really shitty about myself. And so the only way I could feel better was because I couldn't exercise because that was my go-to drug of choice, exercise, endurance sports. So I turned to binge eating. And on the same side, I'm giving nutrition advice to ultra runners and marathon runners and things like that. And then I'm going to have a cake, you know? And then all of a sudden, my body was just like, you need to get this checked out. I wasn't sleeping. I was waking up 
with headaches until about 11 or 12 o'clock during the middle of the day. So being awake for like six hours and with a pounding headache. And like something going on with my brain. And I was losing loads of weight but eating and not exercising. And Van is just like, we need to get you tested. We need to run a battery of tests privately to get a full spectrum of what's going on. Blood tests, saliva tests, stool tests, pee tests. I was filling up the freezer with poo, pee, saliva. It was all frozen at the Sentinel Waves. It was grim, but it was... Yeah, like obviously they were in, they were in containers. Yeah, <laughs> okay, that's the food. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was yeah, and then I was doing um, a different type of recovery therapies, um, so hyperbaric chambers, where like a lot of oxygen um, to try and help with that. Did nothing. I was sleeping fourteen, sixteen hours, um, still hiding a lot, but I was, I'd opened up to Vanda. And she was amazing, um, which is why, yeah, obviously, I finished the Ultimate Triathlon, and one, she was still around from what I put her through, and two, when I opened up to her, um, she was just really supportive. She's like, I knew something was going on to like this deep, and I opened up to her about 20%. I'd opened up to the world at that point by about 2%, so that was massive. And she was just so supportive, and I just thought, like, wow, I'm not alone. Mm. I'm not alone. And I won't say it saved my life, but it it, it made me realise people do care. And then to then pull myself back from thoughts and actions was easy because, like, I'm not alone. You know, I do have someone that cares about me. Um, Obviously, there's many people that do, but to be open and be vulnerable and then to say, yeah, okay, I'm here. I don't care what happens. And like, we'd only been together for nine months, 10 months, you know? So that was, that was amazing. That was hugely supportive. And then we got the test back and my endocrine system, my whole like hormonal system was meltdown. Some hormones weren't even secreting anymore. So the DHEA, human growth hormone, which is a precursor to testosterone so the growth hormone was basically zero which is not good my cortisol was super super high which is not good but as the physician who I worked with who was an ex-professional triathlete so she understood endurance sports and seen a lot of athletes she said that's actually still good because when your cortisol is like like really really bad like seriously really bad is you stop secreting it so we were like, well, that's a positive, I guess. So basically, I got put on this prescription of medication, most of them all natural. I had one um, batch of medication that was uh, made specifically for me to, in- because I'm an athlete, I couldn't just go and inject human growth hormones. I could have, would have helped me put on weight, but like, um, I didn't. I didn't go down that route. It's yeah. not, not sort of um, prescribed. Ethical, yeah, or ethical. So I had these lozenges that were specifically made for me, that encouraged my endocrine system, my hormonal system, to secrete uh, DHEA. I saw a neurologist for my headaches, and they basically said uh, well, you need to go on this medication for three months to kickstart your brain. There was a bit of like. Um, 
short circuit like my light my brain is in a light that, that imagine my your brain's a light bulb and it's like flickering it was sort of doing that and coming on but it was like flickering to start with each each morning so we needed to sort of reset that so there's stuff going off my brain which was like you know, serious yeah. and i was just extremely fatigued and this had nothing to do with the ultimate triathlon the 12 days this had everything to do with 2015 and hustling to train 25 to 30 hours a week plus train other people to pay rent plus doing speaking gigs around the world plus writing articles plus pitching this to brands plus everything life you know and it's one thing training 25 to 30 hours a week professional athletes do that all the time and they're world champions but when you're training when you're working another 40 to 50 hours a week on top of that can't do both can't do both because there's not enough time to sleep to recover from 25 30 hours of endurance training and then you're spending so much time at a laptop in front of other people draining your energy and you're just exhausted and doing that for like nine months the ultimate triathlon was like i was already broken i didn't know it the ultimate triathlon just revealed how badly it was which is why and i go into detail in chasing extreme my book but which is why I only I passed out on only the third day. Like I'm like it's only the third day. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And I struggled with this. But it was because I was overtrained, adrenally fatigued, exhausted, all of that stuff before I started. And then I did the two thousand kilometers. So with that being said, like when I figured out all of this, it was just like no exercise. That was just the head of it, wasn't it? Yeah. So no exercise, lots of meditation, good quality food, loads of sleep, sleeping you know, 12 to 14 hours, unless it was something that I was getting paid for because I still ha- I wasn't making any money from anything else. And the ultimate triathlon, like I had to invest some money in it afterwards because I still need more money to finish and things off the back of that. So, you know, personal loans, credit cards, stuff like that had to come out to survive. And so there's more debt, but it's like, I have to take care of my health. And it was like 18 months where I didn't do anything. And this was the time where I was just like, I can keep running away and I can keep putting a plaster on my life or I can actually stop and acknowledge that the last five years... I've been running away from life. I've been battling with an identity crisis. I've been struggling to make sense of the fact that, okay, I didn't achieve my what I believed was my true potential as a footballer, and I tried to supplement that with pushing myself, doing ultra-endurance challenges, all the really cool things that we've been talking about, but they, I was addicted to those, and and ultra-endurance sports was my drug of choice. And it was just the fact that the ultimate triathlon was my overdose. So now I had to do my own personal, in quotations, rehab and understand who I really was, how I wanted to live the rest of my life, and then what am I going to do in terms of self-care to help me be a productive person in society, but then also within the communities that I live. It must have been that incredibly hard thing to accept it was because i realized i've been lying to myself which it was difficult to accept but what really hurt me was i was i was lying to the people who were closest to me as Mm. well 
and I hate people who are who wear masks knowingly wear masks for whatever reasons and like that really frustrates me but I was doing it to my closest friends people who I love people who I spend time with and yeah so it was really hard to take but I saw this as an opportunity to okay who who am I I'm not a footballer anymore even this is five years after I retired you know but it was like I went on this five year binge and I've t- spoken about this to people who I knew in that period and it was like we knew you were going to crash and burn at some point, but we couldn't get in your way because we knew it wouldn't make any difference. And the ultimate triathlon was when I crashed and burned. Yeah, I, I saw that as plain as day, like reflecting and looking back on it. And I just realized that I have to show myself more self-love and more care. And I have to take care of my physical my emotional side of things as well my mental side of things and i realized that the ultimate triathlon wasn't a springboard for my career it was a massive personal learning experience to understand who i am who i want to be the type of person i want to be and also an opportunity to learn so much about myself and then I want to go and share that with others so they don't have to dig a massive big hole for themselves to learn that um, the knowledge and I want to try and pass it on to them if you had a time machine and someone said to you you can go back and retire from footy again the age of 26 would you still have opened that laptop would you still have entered the MDS and would this still have all happened I can easily say and 100% I would not change a thing the reason being is the person I am today the message that I speak of every single day whether it's online or in my talks or in my course that I've created um everything that I do the way I live my life I wouldn't be who I am today and I wouldn't know what I know or have evolved as a human being if anything in those past five years was changed and I love who I am today I I love myself not in a narcissistic way but I love myself in who I've become and Life is just fantastic. You know, I have struggles and, 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 and different days that I battle with in different things, and my life is not perfect at all. But I'm alive, and I have a beautiful, caring wife and an amazing family, and I meet so many cool people like yourself Cheers, today. Buddy. And I get to tell my story, and the feedback that I get from so many people on a weekly basis you know i will get direct messages on a weekly basis from people who have seen the documentary or one of the documentaries there's two on amazon prime who have read my book now who have been followed me or found me on social media or saw me talk somewhere and i've inspired them to look at their own life in a different way or i've inspired them to ask himself what else can I do Mm -hmm. you know do I have more in me 
if I change anything, I might not be the same person. I might not know what I know and I might not have been able to share this story and help others because that's that's my um, my life philosophy. I have this philosophy that I live by every single day and it helps me dictate how I want to spend my time, my effort, my money, and my energy. And it's to build relationships, learn daily, and teach others what life has taught me. I want to say a massive thank you to Luke for being so candid during our conversation and thank you to you as well for the kind words over our four-part mini-series with Luke Taberski. If you want more Luke in your life, he has a book out right now called Chasing Extreme. It's wicked, so go and check that out. And he has numerous documentaries online as well, including one on the Ultimate Triathlon that you can find on Amazon Prime.